to our Wednesday night Bible study. So glad that you have joined with us. I am Mark Unger, the senior pastor here at Celebration Church. Uh, glad that you're here. If uh, you're wondering at the Bayside campus why I'm on video, the rest of you guys are used to seeing me on video. It's because uh, I have to be in uh, Washington State today. We're doing some promotional work for our internet radio show, but uh, glad that you're with us. Uh, we are in Exodus, the 20th chapter, starting at verse 22. Now, what we do on Wednesday nights is we go through the Bible one verse at a time, keeping it in, in context and so that we can really get to understand what the scriptures are teaching. Uh, although, through the Old Testament here, we kind of jump over some big sections that are a little boring. We're about to do some serious jumping coming up in just a minute here because of the details of the laws of Moses, which we're just not going to break down for you. Uh, you can certainly do that on your own if you want. But uh, where we're at is uh, in chapter 20 of Exodus. Now, God calls all the people that he brought out of Egypt and says, stand before this mountain and you're going to hear my voice and see my glory. And, and Moses had just proclaimed to them the Ten Commandments of God. And anyway, the people were freaked out when they heard God's voice and they saw the lightning and the thunder and stuff. They were so terrified, they begged from Moses, please, we don't want to hear this anymore. We don't want to experience this anymore. From now on, God just talks to you and then you can tell us. Okay, uh, so then we pick it up at verse 22. It says, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. And I mean, this is amazing, because these guys literally, you hear me say this often, uh, even in my sermons on Sunday, that these guys literally saw stuff that you and I would pay big money to see. I mean, they saw miracles we can, in our wildest imaginations, begin to com comprehend. But not only did that they see miracles, they heard God talking to them and seeing his glory. And I mean, this is, this is amazing stuff. Here God speaks to them from heaven. Again, you would think, wow, gee, why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't God just show up and talk to people and do all these kinds of things? Because it doesn't make any difference. This external from the outside experience in God really doesn't work. And it was proved uh, here in the desert when God uh, brought out the children of Israel and did all these things, their hearts stayed hard, they stayed wicked, they were unbelievable in their behavior before God. That's why uh, when Jesus came, it was about not so much about the external anymore, and we're about to deal with some serious external stuff here when we get into the laws of Moses, but that true Christianity is about experiencing God internally. Not that we don't do things externally. We do need to work out what God has done in us. But it's different for us. We don't act in a certain way to make God happy with us. We act in a certain way uh, because God has done his grace in us and we want to grow into his image and likeness. We're not trying to get God to like us so we can experience God. We experience God first and then we act it out. It's totally different than any other religion in the world. So anyway, says, he, God says, look, you, you've, you've heard me speak to you from heaven. And then he... Uh, emphasizes this to, to them. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. All right, so he basically is underscoring uh, the first commandment that they had just heard. So he's saying to them again, do not do this. And why did he emphasize this? But Because for some bizarre reason, these people had a propensity to do this. And they struggled with them for the majority of the Old Testament. They struggled with this. This was like their biggest sin that they kept falling into. 
Uh, it's hard for us to comprehend this. Um, now, I get today that people also have forms of idolatry. You know, they get caught up in their possessions. and But a lot of that has more to do with greed and things. And I understand that kind of analogy. But the truth of the matter is, these people literally were tempted and drawn to lay down and worship golden idols, golden statues, things of silver, things made with man's hands. And they kept, every time there was a statue of something, they were drawn to worship these stupid things. Uh, And God dealt with them over and over and over and over again. Thankfully, by the time Jesus came, they'd pretty much been cured of this. You know, God had dealt with them so harshly and eventually sent them into captivity uh, for, for so many years. And by the time they came out and rebuilt the temple and, and, and all these things, they seemed to have pretty much gotten free of this. But again, it's kind of hard for us to imagine uh, in our mind why people would be so drawn to that uh, from our, our worldview. But this, this was a major problem that they had. Now, a lot of it, I think, had to do because of all the nations around them. You know, we always have to be on guard against letting uh, the culture in which we live affect us. You hear me talk about that a lot as well. And at this time in the world, everybody was into idolatry. And I mean, it was big time stuff. All these nations had all these uh, fancy altars and stuff. And they'd build these big marvelous temples and they would bow down before these gods and and it was all forms of really satan worship and and uh uh, they would even experience bizarre weird things but but they would you know this is where they had human sacrifices and, and stuff these pagan cultures that they lived among amongst were really crude and sexually crude and violent and but this was all around them and they kept being drawn to that there's something about our human flesh nature that wants us to be like everybody else that's around us. The children of Israel always struggle with that. Even to this day, it's the challenge of people of faith not to be drawn into want to be like the pagans that we live around. And why we need to realize, constantly remind ourselves, we're not like them. We're not part of their culture. We're, we, are, we don't really belong here. We're just passing through. Jesus said we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Uh, the scripture always encourages us to make sure that we keep ourselves polluted from the things of the world. That's really the biggest challenge, I think, to us today. But we see it acting out big time here. These guys were constantly struggling with that. So then, so then God says to them, Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Whenever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. So he says, when you do make an altar, just make a a simple earth altar. Don't make it fancy. Why? Because he knew that they would be tempted to bow down and worship the stupid thing. It It was really, truly amazing. Then he says, look, if you do make an altar of stones for me, do not build it up with dressed stones. Don't make it fancy. Don't make it ornate. For you will defile it if you use a tool on it. Talking about you know chiseling and making it real pretty and gorgeous and all this kind of stuff. Why? Because for some bizarre reason they would be drawn to making it about the thing here that they can see rather than the God whom they could not see. And then, and this is kind of an interesting verse right after. He says, and do not go up on my altar on steps lest your nakedness be exposed on it now uh, these are one of these kind of bizarre little verses you're not quite sure exactly what they're talking about 
And, uh, you know, I look at the commentaries and the different studies and best as I can tell, no one's really sure what this means. Uh, probably the closest one that made sense to me is um, they said that uh, some, some of the commentators said that a lot of these guys, these pagans, this was part of their ritual is that they would go up. Uh, you know, they would build these steps and go up onto this thing, and it was all. And they, again, it was about the sexual lewdness and stuff. They would do it naked and, and whatnot. And God was saying, basically, don't reproduce that. Okay, and uh, we'll see here because in a, in, in a minute you'll see how these guys made a calf of gold and they were dancing around it with their lewdness and stuff. And, and most scholars believe that it, they were basically dancing around it naked, like like this is what they were doing. So. So he's basically warning them. If you're going to make an altar, make it simple. Don't get caught up in the ornate. Now you've got to wonder because um, a, a lot of, uh, I want to be careful here because I don't want to just make people mad at me, but, but, but a lot of traditional mainline churches like Catholics and you know Roman Catholics or Ethan, uh, Eastern Orthodox Catholics, uh, even some Lutherans and stuff like that, but, but more uh, of, of the older mainline Catholic uh, groups, um, are really into major ornate things. They do make all kinds of statues and their altars are all ornate and stuff like that and, and they build up all these things. Uh, in fact, a lot of what they do in a way is they're kind of trying to, in, in one sense, they, they try to emulate the law of Moses because as, as we go through here, and, and I'm not going to, I'll point it out, but I'm not going to really read the detail, but they would talk about how the priests had to dress and there were certain ways and everything had to be done in a certain way. It sounds like, you know, like some of that kind of worship where they have all their rules and this kind of clothing, this has to be around that. In a way, they're kind of emulating uh, the Old Testament uh, priestly uh, robes and, and, and those rituals and stuff like that. Uh, which is kind of odd because I don't know why they try to emulate it because there's nothing in the New Testament that says be like that. Uh, but then they go over and then they do stuff that the Old Testament even says don't do, which is build all the ornate and stuff. So I'm not sure where they get all that. I, you know, Obviously, I don't agree with them in that area or we'd be like that. But uh, it's just kind of odd to me that, that they do all that because God specifically even told the Jews, don't make it all fancy like that. Keep the altars simple. Don't make it about that. Uh, actually, some people who come out of more traditional big mainline churches like that come into a sanctuary like here at Celebration Church. And, our, and one of the things they kind of struggle with, because I, I see them, they'll walk in and, and they'll look up here and they'll see the simplicity of the platform and they'll say, well, where's the altar? Where's, how come you don't have all, you know, some people struggle because we don't have the big crosses and stuff like that. Um, we intentionally try to uh, keep things as simple as possible because God doesn't really live up there in a box, okay? He's not living on the altar. We don't have to have this big ornate thing. God lives inside of us. Uh, we show respect in here when we come in here as a place of worship, but it's not like God actually lives here and hangs out here and we've got to come visit God in his box up on a platform somewhere. Uh, we just keep it simple because we don't want our hearts caught up on things, we want our hearts caught up in Christ, which was what God was trying to get across to them. So then chapter 21, verse 1. These are the laws you are to set before them. Now we've already gotten a little bit of a hint at some of the technical laws about, you know, make sure you do this right, do that right. And, and then we get the Ten Commandments, which are pretty simple. But the Ten Commandments, this is way more than the laws of Moses. We're not just talking Ten Commandments here. We're talking gazillions of commandments. 
uh, that have to do with everything under the sun. And this is where we really start getting into the detail of the laws of Moses. This is what you read about in the New Testament. Talking about do we have to live by the law. And Paul was constantly telling people, quit living by the law. Let's live by faith. It's not about the external anymore. It's about the internal. And, uh, you know, that's when he wrote to the Galatians. He was so mad at those guys. And, and they were fighting over this thing about the law. Why do they talk? This is what we're talking about now. These are the laws. And then he starts talking about how to deal with Hebrew servants, how to deal with personal injuries, uh, laws in chapter 2, uh, protection of property. We're not going to read all this. You can read it on your own. Uh, uh, and it's great, actually. It's, it can be pretty fascinating and interesting. And, uh, some of it's kind of bizarre. They've got some of the strangest laws uh, that have to do with the oddest things, um, but this is all part of the laws of Moses. There's laws about social responsibility, laws about how to uh, act out justice and mercy. You know, here's here's a bizarre law in chapter 23, verse 19. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. How weird is that? First of all, I wouldn't want to cook a goat in milk. It just sounds gross to me. But don't do it in mother. Now, why not? I don't know. Now, there's a gazillion commentators out there. And for those of you who are real hardcore Bible students, let me go for it, man. Study this stuff. There's all kind, A lot of these guys are quite brilliant. And they show you why they didn't do this and why there was a law against this and how it plays into uh, a picture of our faith today and da-da-da-da-da. But we're talking serious, serious you know, breaking down of, of these laws. And I just don't want to do it because it's really, really, really boring. Um, uh, uh, and, and we have to live by it today anyway. Uh, t- uh, goes on, uh, chapter 25, how to do uh, offerings uh, in the tabernacle. Uh, uh, 25 verse 10, this is where we get the instructions for the ark. You know, you kind of remember the Ark from Indiana Jones, you know, the Ark of the Covenant. And it talks about how to make the Ark, what it should look like and stuff. Uh, how it should have the two cherubims of hammered gold on the ends of the cover and, and how they're looking towards each other. Actually, if you look at, if you watch the movie Indiana Jones and you see how they built the Ark of the Covenant in that movie, they did it very uh, accurately. you got to hand it to them. Well, how that looks, that's how the Bible describes they were supposed to make it. And, uh, and inside the uh, Ark of the Covenant uh, were the, uh, eventually the Ten Commandments, the, the tablets that uh, God had given to Moses. And uh, also that jar of manna. Remember, they were supposed to take some manna and put it in a jar and preserve it for future generations as a testimony. That was also put in the Ark of the Te- Covenant. Eventually, uh, Mos- or Aaron's staff was put in the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and remember, it was Aaron in the beginning when, when they went before uh, Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and, and he had a staff and it turned into this, that, and the other. It was Aaron doing all this stuff. So they, they uh, kept that. Um, and, and what's interesting too, by the way, is you, you notice now Aaron is doing less and less and less. He's still involved, but Moses now is much more comfortable in his skin, much more comfortable being the leader that God called him to be. And now Moses is doing much more of the talking. In the beginning, you would have thought, who's Moses? He never says anything. It's all Aaron doing all this stuff. Because Moses was so afraid and, and insecure 
Well, clearly by now, Moses, he's speaking all the time and, you know, he's kind of in charge of everything. I mean, he was always in charge of everything, but you would have hardly known it. But now you know it because he speaks it up. So we talk about the Ark of the Covenant there, about the table that should be in the worship, the lampstand, the tabernacle, uh, the altar, you know, of, of how they should burn their offerings. And yikes, on and on and on. Chapter 28, the priestly garments and how they should have these... Uh, robes and stuff like that. Again, you will see in Catholic or in Lutheran and then Episcopalian some of that same kind of tradition of the priests wearing certain types of garments and what they need to wear as priests. This is all taken from the Old Testament. There's nothing about that in the New Testament. Now, if they want to do that, I don't have a big problem with it. I don't care what you, whatever you want to wear. But that's why we don't do it. Our pastors don't wear, you know, the backward collars and all the final robes and flowing around on the altar. Although, it'd be kind of funny to do that one day, uh, freak you all out. But, uh, you know, that was all part of these priestly garments and what they should wear and, and how to consecrate the priest. That's chapter 29. Uh, the altar of incense, uh, the, the basin, I mean, all this stuff. It's, it's really, really, really uh, fascinating to, to read all of this stuff uh, that they did. Um, so it, it goes on and on, and uh, uh, then we pick it up pretty much at chapter 30. Actually, let's back up at, at chapter 24. They do insert a little thing here at chapter 24 uh, where uh, God speaks to Moses in the midst of all this. Let me grab this with you real quick. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then God says to Moses, uh, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. And the people may not come up with him. So when Moses went up and told the people all the Lord's words and the laws to this point, all these laws and regulations, uh, they responded with one verse, voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. <laughs> Liars. <laughs> they had no intention of doing it because they were always breaking the laws. But anyway, they all said, yeah, yeah, no problem. Which, by the way, is a great example of God doesn't really care so much about what you say as what you do. You know, people get all upset, you know, about, uh, you know, what exactly people say or don't say or what they feel or don't feel. And, you know, uh, you hear this sometimes. Well, I don't want to just do something nice because I'd just be a hypocrite because I'm not really feeling it or all that kind of stuff. Listen, that's a bunch of nonsense. I mean, I understand about the phoniness and hypocrisy and stuff, but don't set your standards based on how you feel or what you think. We will be judged by what we do. Bottom line. It's just that simple. We will be judged by what we do. Jesus gave a fabulous uh, uh, parable one day about, he said, a certain man had two sons. He comes to the first son and says, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And the son says, Fabulous, Dad, I would love to do it. You know I love you, Dad. Your fabulous is great. I've always loved to work. This is great. And then the Bible, Jesus says, But then he never went and did it. Then he came to son number two and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And son number two says, I don't want to work in your vineyard. I hate your stinking vineyard, dumb vineyard, with the attitude. But then Jesus says, then that son went and did it. And then Jesus posed this question to them. Which one did the will of the Father? 
And they had to stop and think and said, well, the second one did. You see, the first son, everybody would have praised him. He said all the right things. He felt all the right things. Oh, dad, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes, God, I want to do your will. Oh, yeah, pastor, whatever it takes. We're behind you, pastor. We're behind you. Yeah, some people are so far behind you, you can't see them. But they say all the right stuff. But then they don't do anything. Then you've got people who don't always say the right things. Maybe they don't feel it. Oh, I don't want to do that. I hate doing this. But then they do it. That's the person Jesus praised. Again, in, in the end, it's what we do that really matters. You know, sometimes we have to do the right thing even though we don't feel like doing the right thing. It doesn't make you a hypocrite. Now, if you're pretending that you feel good about it when you really don't, well, then now you're being phony. Now you're being plastic. But it's okay to be honest and open and not freaking out. Uh, I mean, the reality is oftentimes God asks us, asks us to do things that we don't really want to do. I mean, you know, like giving money. Who wants to give away their money? You know, I mean, I know the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver and they have that kind of attitude. I get that. But I mean, at some fundamental level, does anybody really want to give their money? Nobody wants to give their money. It's our money, you know. Uh, but we do it. Not grumbling cheerfully, but, but, but uh, still in your heart. I mean, it's still a stretch for people. Um, but you still do it. You know, sometimes you have to forgive people that you don't want to forgive. Forgive. If someone's been mean to you and nasty to you, doesn't it tick you off? Don't you want to reach out and strangle them sometimes? Don't you? I mean, it's, it's hard. But you have to forgive them, even if they've hurt you. So I don't know, I don't know if I feel it. My, who cares what you feel? Just do the right thing. We've got to be less concerned about how our emotions are playing on us at any given time. And be more concerned about our actions. And what we do. Again, I'm not arguing for phoniness. You know, if inside you're feeling turmoil, but you're pretending, oh sure, I'd love to do that. Well, now you're being phony. And so, so, so I'm not into that. But even though you might feel in turmoil, you don't want to do it, who cares? You do it anyway. Um, you know, you might s- uh, volunteer somewhere in, in the church. Maybe take care of <laughs> the little rugrats in the back. Or maybe you don't really feel like it some night. I'm sure not everybody who does everything around here always feels like doing it. I'm sure the cameraman standing there right now behind the cameras for 45 minutes watching me yak at you. It's probably not the most exciting moment of their lives. They're not back there thinking, gee, this is great to stand here and push these buttons. Who cares? They're doing their job. They're doing their responsibility. They're, commi- they're, they're contributing to the ministry of the church by doing some of the basic stuff. You know, you don't always have to ask yourself how you feel about things. Um, well, I could go on and on about that. I mean, it's, you know, so one of the reasons why so many people never really succeed in life is they judge everything that they do based on how they feel about doing it. Uh, that's why a lot of people, you know, they start out practicing, you know, what they say, boy, I want to learn how to play the piano. And, uh, but they don't get very far because they never feel like practicing. Or, yeah, I'd, I'd really love to become a doctor someday. But they never feel like studying. Well, why aren't you studying? Ah, I just don't feel like it. Man, you can't think that way. You'll never succeed in life if you judge everything by how you feel. Really good musicians never ask themselves, do I feel like practicing? You don't have, the reason they don't ask themselves that is because they know the answer. The answer is no. Nobody feels like going, 
to the I mean ad nauseum you have no idea you those of you who are musicians know what I'm talking about you practice and run the same stupid scales up and down and up and down it's enough to I remember practicing and I'd literally fall asleep in the middle of my scales because it was so boring but you do it over and over again why so that when you get up to play you can do it without even thinking you can just dance all over the thing because you're familiar with it it's fun now we're having a good time everybody's digging it everybody's clapping the guitar player gets up there does his rock and roll leads and we're praising God it's great fun now but for him to get to that point not so much fun because you have to do things that you don't necessarily want to do again how do you get good at stuff you don't ask yourself do I want to do it you look at the end thing and say, well, this is what I need to get there. So uh, don't just get caught up in saying the right things. These guys said the right things. Oh, yeah, yeah, God, we'll do whatever you say, God, no problem. This is, this is fabulous. Uh, but they really did not have that in their hearts. So anyway, Moses then uh, wrote down everything the Lord had said. And he got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent uh, young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as offerings, uh, fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Uh, then the blood, uh, and I'm sorry, then he took the book of the covenant, I'm sorry, and read it to the people. They responded, oh yeah, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Oh yes, Dad, I'd love to go work in the vineyard. Oh yeah, fabulous. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on all the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance to all these words that uh, he's been teaching them about the laws of Moses. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Now, this is interesting because, again, in the Old Testament, it's, it's hard to understand. Because we do know this. Nobody's actually seen God and live. And we're going to see a little bit later that Moses asks to see God. And he says, you can't see me, uh, you know, because you'd never survive it. But uh, then there's times where they'll have a phrase like this, that they all went up and everybody saw God. Well... You know, and then sometimes they're talking about God, but it's not really God, it's an angel. It's all, I don't know why it's all intertwined like this. It just is what it is. Um, so clearly this is not literally seeing God as we would think because they would never be able to survive. What were they seeing? I don't know. Was it a representation of God? Was it an angel of God? I don't know. Um, and, and by the way, these are the little kind of nitpicky things that you know, uh, agnostics and unbelievers say, ah, the Bible's full of contradictions, you know, it says you can't see God, and then these guys saw God, you know, this, again, they're just nitpicking over stuff that doesn't really matter. This had to be some kind of representation of God, and this is what they see. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, pretty nice pavement, clear as the sky itself, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Again, it couldn't have been literally seeing God as we understand it. As we see later, they would have never survived. Okay. Uh, then the Lord says to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the laws and commands I have written for their instruction. 
Now, it's always been traditionally understood these were the Ten Commandments on the stones. Um, I, I don't know that we were... Anybody knows that absolutely for certain. Of course, you would have had, you've got to assume it couldn't have been all these laws or there wouldn't have been tablets big enough for it. So, was it just the Ten? Was it other laws? I don't know. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide. So, M- Moses going along. He's quite an elderly guy, by the way, uh, at this time. And uh, he has this aide, young guy named Joshua. It's the first time we're seeing Joshua. Now, you need to remember this name because Joshua eventually becomes the leader of Israel after Moses dies. Joshua is the one who will finally take the children of Israel into the promised land. And he will lead them and they will fight uh, and and clear out the other uh, pagan nations that are there. That's where they go and they you know, fight the battle of Jericho. You know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. This is the Joshua we're talking about here. At this time, he's an aide to Moses. And Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, you guys wait here for us until we come back. Aaron and Hur are with you. And anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. <laughs> it's really fascinating. I mean, Moses was constantly trying to settle arguments with people all the time. And he's going up for a little while on the mountain and said, look, if anybody has an argument, you can go to these guys. And I'm thinking, man, that many people arguing all the time? Can't you just get along for a little while? Goodness. Anyway. So when Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is how, how we know he was up there that long. For 40 days, he goes up there to get the Ten Commandments. Well, then he goes now and he tells of more of the laws that we were just talking about here, blah, 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 blah. So let's get back up to where we were at chapter, uh, was it 30, no, it's more than that, up to uh, 32. Okay, so again, we just got more laws here. Read them on your own time. So then we get to chapter 32. And it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long, so long, how long? Forty days. Give me a break. These people were so impatient. They had just spent 430 years in captivity. And they cannot wait 40 days. I'm telling you, it doesn't even take 40 days. These guys, as soon as they came out of Egypt, they were whining and complaining right away. You know, we don't have anything to eat. We have nothing to drink. I wish we were all dead. Why aren't we dead? Oh, you came out to kill us. Unbelievable whiners. These people are the whiners of... They are in the whiners hall of fame. I mean, the, the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, these people were unbelievable. It's one of the reasons, which we're going to find out, why God made them wander, wander around for 40 years in the desert. It didn't take 40 years to get where they were going. It took them, I forget what... Was it a week or something? Three weeks? It was nothing. Maybe a few days? I have no idea. Where they eventually went, it was a pretty short trip. But God wouldn't let them go and made them just wander around in, in the desert. Why? Because they were such belly acres and whiners. And after he'd done all this to bring them out of slavery, he wouldn't let them go in because they were such complainers. And he waited until they basically all died off. All the people that came out of Egypt originally died off. And it wasn't them, but their children that went into the... Uh, uh, land of uh, to the promised land, except for like you know uh, Joshua and these guys who led them in. 
So anyway, so they saw that he was taking so long. Oh, where's the pastor? The pastor, he's been on the road for two weeks, uh, two Wednesdays. He hasn't been here. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, goodness gracious. You know, that would be like us freaking out because somebody doesn't see me for a couple of weeks. And oh, I don't know. If, I don't know if I can keep serving God anymore. I haven't seen the pastor or heard from. I mean, that would be the equivalent of what these people would be like. It's unbelievable. So anyway, so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come on, Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. Make us gods. Make us something we can worship, something we can see, something we can feel, something we can touch. They wanted, but it had to be something they could see and feel and touch that made them comfortable. Because they could see God in the, in not literally, but they would see the mountain and the lightning and stuff. They didn't want that. They could hear God, but that freaked them out. They didn't want that. They wanted to hear and feel and touch something they were comfortable with. You know, it sounds like a lot of religious people, you know, they'll go to church as long as it's comfortable for them. Everything's got to be in the right environment for them that they like. And that's the way these people were. So, come on, Aaron, make us some gods. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. Forty days, people, this is nothing. And they go to Aaron. And Aaron, what a wiener he is. Now, Aaron is the guy who's been with Moses the whole time. Aaron is the guy who stood there and and proclaimed the words of Moses and saw these plagues come upon Israel and God do these incredible things. Split the sea. They walked across it, closed it on top of Pharaoh's army. If anybody should have been fighting for righteousness after 40 whole days, it should have been Aaron. But he wieners out. Unbelievable. So Aaron says, after the people say, come on, make us gods, make us gods, come on, make us a god, make us a god. Aaron says, well, he buys in. And he does it. He says, take off the gold earrings that your wives have and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed them and he made it into an idol in the shape of a calf, worshiping a stupid cow fashioning it with a tool then they said these are your gods O Israel who brought you up out of Egypt now they were willing to celebrate coming out of Egypt as long as it was a cow but as long as it was God they whined and bellyached truly amazing uh, and you'll see here what well, God got so mad he wanted to kill the whole lot of them and I don't blame him if I had a God <laughs> I would have killed the whole lot of them how you can get to a point like that. And there are so many analogies like that, even today, where people feel comfortable with things in the natural, but they feel uncomfortable with things in the spiritual. As long as they can feel, touch, and gather, and make them feel comfortable, then then that's okay. They'll serve, so-called serve God in that environment. But when you got to step out in faith, and trust God, and not be selfish, and stretch out a little bit, and not be comfortable, that's when people come unglued. That's when they start freaking out. Wow. Amazing. So they're celebrating now that they came out of Egypt because a cow brought them out. Then Aaron, uh, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Not to the Lord of heaven, but to the cow. So the next day the people rose early. Oh, now they're into it. Now they're excited. Let's all get out of bed. Come on, people. We're having a party. 
And they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. A lot of this being translated, they, they were doing as the pagans did, uh, with a lot of sexual misbehavior and dancing naked around a cow. And these guys were as corrupt as you can possibly get. Then the Lord said to Moses, so remember, Moses is up there with God. He's given him the Ten Commandments, giving him all these laws. And then the Lord says to Moses, hey, go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, and I love this now, because your people, wait a minute, I thought they were your people, God. No, they're your people, God says to them. These people that you brought up out of Egypt, they have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, those Israel, which brought you up out of Egypt. Amazing. Wow. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. What does that mean? They are a stubborn, stubborn, stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I might destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So he says, get out of the way. I'm going to kill the whole lot of them. I'm just going to wipe these people out. And then from you, I will make a great nation. By the way, it shows you the patience of God. It took hundreds and hundreds of years for this nation to get to this size. God didn't care. Ah, we'll just start over again. God's in no hurry. I know we're all in such a hurry all the time for everything. God is, you know, when you're living in eternity, a few hundred years to a thousand years is nothing. So then, um, it says, But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God, O Lord. He said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? So he says, Look what everybody will say. You brought this out. They all saw you bringing them out. And if you kill them all, they'll say, Well, that's what God did. He just wanted to kill them all and, and uh, you know, then dismiss what, uh, what, what it was all about. And Moses prays for them and intercedes for them. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. What is he doing? Remember we saw this earlier in Genesis. This is when people started praying, and they would pray back God's words to him. It's a powerful way to pray. It's a great thing of, of knowing the scriptures and taking the promises of God when you're in your prayer time. And say, Lord, you said this. And you made this promise and stuff. It's a powerful way to pray. Now, he says, remember, you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he quoted back to God the words that God had spoken to them. And these promises. And that's how he interceded for the people. Now, technically, God could have said, look, you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I could start it all with you. It wouldn't have been inconsistent. But still, there was power in the fact that he stood in the gap, he prayed, he interceded, he quoted back God's word to God himself in prayer uh, for the people. And then in verse 14 it says, Well, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. And then Moses, <laughs> actually, it's kind of funny because God is furious. And Moses prays, God, please. 
don't be angry. Please forgive them. Remember what you said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, blah, blah, blah. And the Egyptians will just, you know, think it was for evil that you brought them out of Egypt. And he's praying for them. And then God hears his prayer and God backs off from his anger. Well, then Moses gets up. And he goes down there, and Moses is ticked off. And then Moses just goes ape on these people, which we're going to see when we come back next Wednesday night. We'll pick up the story, and we'll see what Moses does when he comes down and he confronts the children of Israel who had done this incredible evil in the sight of God after just 40 days. Remember, these are the people who had just said, Oh, yeah, God, we'll do it. Whatever you say, we'll do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll go work in your vineyard. Oh, yeah, you know, it's easy talk but when the rubber met the road after this terrible trial of a whole month they completely lost their faith wow let's be careful not to be like that let's stand firm if you're going through a difficult time so pastor i'm having a hard time i prayed for you know two weeks and i haven't got my answer yet well man you might pray for two years before you get here i don't know i have no idea god knows he's the one in charge of all this stuff we need to stand firm let's not be like these people that's what the book of hebrews says <laughs> writing to the Christians in the New Testament. Above all, don't be like these people. Let's not, as people of faith today, act and think and respond like these people did in the, uh, uh, in the Exodus who came up out of Egypt and just kept turning away from God, full of fear, full of paranoia, full of self-pity. I wish I was dead. Where's God? It's taking so long. La, 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 la. I think I'll eat some worms and die. I think I'll worship a cow. Okay? Let's be smarter than that as people of faith. Let's trust God. Let's experience God. And uh, we'll see you again next Wednesday as we pick it up and you'll hear the rest of the story. God bless. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to invite our ushers as they come as we just celebrate the Lord with our giving tonight. Isn't it wonderful when we read God's Word and hear God's Word spoken to us that we can stop and see how much of that applies in our hearts and our lives as well. Just, just, just hearing that, as Pastor Mark just shared that with us, and I'm stopping thinking to myself, where would I have been? Would I have... After 40 days, I've been ready to put a cow together and start worshipping a cow. I would like to stop and say, no, not me. But we need to be determined and say, God, with your grace, your strength, we want to be people who, no matter what happens in our lives, what comes our way, that we're pursuing God with all our hearts, passionately in love with Jesus, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we thank you this evening that we can come and we can give. And Lord, even has been reminded, we've been reminded again tonight. We give, Lord, not necessarily because we always feel like it. We thank you, Lord, when we can joyously give, but Lord, we give because of obedience as well. In response to your word, Lord. And so, Father, tonight as we give of our tithe, we give of our offering, as we just open up our hearts and be generous givers. We give out of a love for you and an obedience to you and your kingdom. And seeing your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here in Green Bay. Just what your desire is in heaven for us, Lord, we respond to tonight. And we give you praise and glory for that, Lord. 
We pray it in the precious name of Jesus. 